What is going on, family? This is Jake Taylor Jacobs, Mr. Be The Bank, and um, I'm extremely excited to be sharing with you in this small little master lesson uh, within this little master class uh, how uh, you can actually become the bank for yourself and uh, for your family. Um, when it comes to this banking concept, learning how to not depend on the bank, when it comes to learning how to fend for yourself, when it comes to uh, learning how to make money by lending, not borrowing from the bank. It's more than just a, a belief that I have um, uh, from spiritual belief. It's more than just that my father ingrained that type of mentality inside of all of his kids uh, to show us that he couldn't really explain um, in detail what the banks were doing that he felt like wasn't right. But what he knew was, how can somebody have money in the bank? Then when you want to go borrow money from the bank so you don't have to use your money, you got to fill out a thousand, five thousand applications uh, and then they can use your money at will. And he really didn't understand exactly how the banks work. But my father, from a young age, he took his money out the bank. As soon as he hit the checking account, he took the money out the bank. He kept the money in his safe and he grew his money by lending. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, uh, but not too much. We're not going to go too much into detail with that. However, what I will say is that when it comes to learning the philosophy of how to build your own banking system, it starts with the education of the mind. It starts with you educating your kids. It starts with you educating yourself so that you can understand that you can create a, your own private banking institution within your own household. We just have to figure out exactly where are we going to get the information from? Where are we going to house the information? And what are we going to do to ensure that we have all the tools that we need in order for us to be successful financially successful, mentally successful, spiritually. So again, my name is Jake Taylor Jacobs, and, and I'm going to teach you how to build your own banking system. Uh, me and my wife, we practiced it with our lives. We built it within our family where we don't borrow money from the bank. When we built our seven-figure company, we never borrow money from the bank. We only leverage money from our pool of money that we built, and then we charge ourselves interest to borrow money from ourselves. We'll go a little bit more of that in detail a little bit later in today's masterclass. Uh, and then when we bought our cars, like when I bought my Mercedes Benz cash, we owe any no one but our own banking system. This is our family's name. It's our family's banking system. This is what we use for privatized banking. And when we went and bought my wife's uh, 2017 Lexus um, NX200T uh, cash, um, we did the exact same thing. So I think it's very important for us to understand uh, that we have the power to control our banking system and we have to have that money circulate within our community as much as possible. Because why? Because when the money circulates inside of our community as much as possible, you know what happens? Wealth happens. And when wealth happens, you know what else happens? Legacy continues. You know when legacy continues, what happens? Now you have something that you can stand on where your family is not dependent upon another family, another name, another company in order for them to be able or government in order for them to be able to achieve what we call economic success. So it's very important that we begin to start building your brand. My, my sister created a brand called uh, Protect, uh, Protect the Brand. And the brand is your family name. Protect y'all's legacy. Protect y'all's standard. And when you create a standard like we've created for my family, where you do not borrow money outside of the family banking system unless it is last minute you about to die 
that is what we built inside of our economy. And that's why I think it's very important that you take the information that we're going to give today and that you share it with other people if you find it valuable. Okay, so we've been educating clients and families. I know I have for seven years. I've been doing it for seven years. And I think that it's very important that we understand uh, that not only when you listen to somebody that has value, that you kind of can go on a little brief history to figure out how long they've been doing it. Since, since 2012, I've been teaching financial literacy to communities, to churches, to families, as well as sharing the um, uh, financial institution, financial education strategies with company, um, not companies, uh, universities. And um, I wish my keyboard was working because I would definitely show you. Um, and I think that it's very important that we understand since 2012, well, that's eight years now, I was teaching this concept 2013. Um, I got funded by Capital One Banking System and getting funded with Capital One, as long as you stay within the parameters of how they tell you to teach and how they want you to teach, you're absolutely okay. But the moment that you begin to start to teach people how to become Capital One, how to become the bank, that's when they don't really like that. So from 2012, I've been teaching financial education since 2005. I've been licensed to actually uh, help you put banking systems and insurance policies and retirement strategies in place since two uh, for uh, since 2016. Um, uh, we've started our practice. So we're four years into actually starting our firm. We have clients. Um, all across the country. And when it comes to our philosophy, we have um, students that are adopting our philosophies in over six countries now. So it's very exciting uh, to be able to share with you our concepts so that we can be able to help you make sure that you're taken care of in the way that you should be taken care of. <clears throat> so little, uh, so that's a little bit of my story. Uh, this, this car right here, actually, um, this car in 2015, in 2015, I was living beyond my means and I was borrowing and leveraging and using credit, uh, even though I knew not to do it. And this was 2015. I got this BMW and this BMW actually got repoed um, in 2015. So I got it end of 2014. It got repoed 2015, end of 2015. So I didn't even have it a full year. And this car got repoed. And look at this guy broke as a joke. I was making one hundred and six thousand a year right out of college. However, I was broke beyond broke and I was living check to check. And this little car was costing me $1,200 a month. Just this car alone was costing me $1,200 a month. And I had two of them. Um, long story short, uh, fast forward to today, you guys can follow me on social media and you can see what we drive today. And we own those cars absolutely outright. So I think it's very important to understand that I've been exactly where you are. I've been where you've been, wherever you are. I've been repoed. I've been evicted. I've been all those things trying to figure out this thing called financial independence. And I realized true financial independence is not being dependent on anybody else's system. True financial independence is not being dependent upon anybody else's structure, anybody else's um, uh, uh, for them to tell you yes or no. That's not how we work. I want to be in control of my money. I want to control my contracts and I want to be able to control if you say yes or no to me, which is important. So the objective of today's class is to teach you how to ensure your financial freedom to help you learn the real rules to the money game and help you become the banker. So let's let's break down intelligence. Intelligence is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. What does that mean? That means that a lot of us uh, acquire information, but we don't apply it. So the opposite of 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 intelligence is what? 
foolishness to be a fool somebody or 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 being stupid or being whatever you want to call um somebody who who learns the information and then does not apply it that is somebody who is not wise so the information that you get today we want you to absolutely apply it we want you to be able to uh, take the information that we give you and absolutely run with it because we believe that it can lead you to your financial independence so I, I, if you guys know, find out anything about me, I like to find out what words mean, because I believe that a lot of us, we put spells on ourselves uh, because we don't know what words really mean. So if we break down the word currency, the Latin root word for cur means to run currency split in half. Cur means to run. NC means consistency or consistently. So that lets us know that currency, which is money, is supposed to run consistently like water. So if you see this water cycle here, you see how it's always a moving, it's always evolving, it's always turning into something, it's moving into something. However, when it comes to our money, our money doesn't make that same cycle. When we think about our money, our money typically goes from money earned to money spent and never returned. And when we look at the ecosystem of when we look at the ecosystem of water, water always has to return and touch some form or fashion of all these things, whether it likes it or not. And we have to put our money in a chokehold to where it does this evolution. So your money economy should be working like this. It should go money earned, money saved, money lent, money spent, money returned, money earned. This should be the flow of our money. And notice I said lent and not invested. See, I uh, because a lot of people have a misunderstanding of investment in actual gambling. And I don't want to get into that today, but I like to look at all situations like I'm lending my money. And when you lend your money, you expect some type of return. You expect your money to come back. And so when I'm investing my money or I'm or I'm I'm looking for an opportunity or I'm growing our business here, at ABS, I like to think of it as I'm lending my money for a period of time because I know what my exit is. I know what my gain is and I know that I'm getting back. So I go money earned, money saved, money lent, which means I'm making my money work for me before I spend any money. It's very important that we understand that. I make my money work for me. Some people say you pay yourself first, whatever you want to call it. I lend my money out to the world economy and I want it to come back. Then I spend my money. My money gets returned back to me. And then guess what? My money's earned all over again. So this cycle of how money works is how you actually can lock in and guarantee wealth. Well, we have to protect ourselves from these four thieves because these four thieves are stealing our freedom. It is the greedy bankers. It's ourselves. It's Wall Street and it's the government. So we got to deal with the first thief, which is you. And what we have to understand is that financial cancer is absolutely killing you, because uh, if you think about what financial cancer is, what I was is a book I wrote called We Are Sick Surviving Financial Cancer and financial cancer. I was able to determine and see and come up with the um, uh, through research and, and realize that there are four stages of financial cancer, just like there are four stages of physical cancer in each one of those stages, your lifespan and your stress in your life and things in your life gets a lot more dramatic, just like physical cancer, and it can end up killing you. So let's, so this is kind of the study I did to be able to determine what financial cancer was and how it can kill you. According to the CDC of prevention, the number one cause of death in black America in America in general is acute and chronic stress. I mean, it's heart disease. I'm sorry. The number one uh, cause of death, the number one cause of death in uh, black America is acute and chronic stress. I'm going to make this bigger for you. And one cause of death in black America is acute and chronic stress. 
And so with that being the number one cause uh, of death in black America, a lot of us believe it's just the food we eat. It's all of this, but it's a lot. It goes a lot more deep. The number one cause of heart disease is actually acute and chronic stress. The number one cause of death in black America is heart disease. Number one cause of death in, uh, um, um, in America and black America's heart disease. The number one cause of heart disease is acute and chronic stress. Well, let's figure out what acute and chronic stress is. Acute stress is short term stress. So examples of acute stress would be any stress that you suffer from uh, for a short period of time, like a traffic jam, an argument with your spouse, an unkind criticism from your boss or someone breaking into your house when you aren't there. That's an example of short term stress, which means that our body is actually built and good at handling acute episodes of stress. We are designed to recover quickly from our short term stress. That's actually how experts define resilience. How quickly you can recover from acute episodes of stress, your body, your blood pressure, your heart rate, your breathing rate and levels of muscle tension may skyrocket for a short while. But for most people, these markers of stress quickly revert back to their normal pre-stressful levels. So that lets us know that when it comes to us actually learning how to um, um, uh, learning what acute stress does, acute stress is fine. It, it stretches your heart. This is a part of life. But one thing that is not a part of life is chronic stress, which is long term stress. So this is if you're a bus driver, a cop, a regular worker and you get stuck in numerous traffic jams every day. So that stress of you being, you know, all of us get that anxiety of being in traffic jams or being on a highway and there's traffic and it just stresses you out for a period of time. Imagine if you go to work every day for 30 years and that always stresses you out to the highest level. And and you're always stressed out and it's something that's always happening. Those those type of acute uh, stresses become chronic stresses that happens every day. If you're in a bad relationship and you argue with your spouse constantly, uh, you work for a toxic boss or you live in a high crime neighborhood and break ins are relatively common. All these examples, all of those were examples of acute stress. If you can quickly get over it. But if it happens over a longer period of time, these things consistently start happening. Guess what? Then that chronic stress becomes and our body is not good at handling chronic stress. Over time, chronic stress gradually increases our resting heart rate, blood pressure, breathing rate and levels of muscle tension. So the body has to work even harder when it's at rest to keep you functioning normally. In other words, chronic stress creates a new normal inside of our bodies. And this new normal can eventually lead to a host of health problems, including heart disease, diabetes, chronic pain, high blood pressure and depression. Does any of this thing of this sounds familiar? So when we talk about what the number one cause of, of death in black America is heart disease. The number one cause of death of uh, heart disease is acute and chronic stress. The number one cause of acute and chronic stress is financial hopelessness. It's living paycheck to paycheck. It's 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 not knowing how you're going to pay your bills. It's not knowing how you're going to feed your kids. It's not always trying to figure out how you're going to pay this first. How you're going to pay that first. And I usually always tell people there's no way that you can have a higher calling, a calling from God, if the very first thing that you do every single day is literally 
Focus on what bills you're going to pay, what debt you're going to pay, what credit card bills you're going to pay, what daycare bills you're going to pay. And all those things actually become your God. If you're thinking about how I'm going to pay for my Bank of America uh, mortgage, how I'm going to pay for my Bank of America uh, uh, credit card, how I'm going to pay for my Chase Bank uh, uh, car note, how am I going to pay for my credit union personal loan? All those things become the very thing that you think about on a regular basis. When I got debt out of my life and I became the bank for my family, we built our own banking system. When those things begin to happen, y'all, our life absolutely began to change. I am telling you, stress is not a thing anymore. I mean, the reason why people stress is because even if you're not making money, no money's coming in. You know, COVID-19 happens. Uh, uh, things happen. As the, the government shuts down. And you still have debt that you have to pay or things in your life will be taken from you. This is what we feel like on a daily basis. But the problem is, is that these things get passed down generation to generation. These things get passed down generation to generation over and over and over again. These things get passed down over and over and over again. These things get passed down over and over and over again. And if we do not change this thing, this is what you call a DNA stressor that gets passed on to your kids. And this is something that they live with. This moment of despair, this distress, this financial hopelessness. And this is the reason why uh, the number one cause of uh, financial hopelessness is the number one cause of botched and divorce and, and uh, troubled marriages. Number one reason for arguments in, in, in relationships typically come from this problem. So the number one cause of financial hopelessness is debt. I know I said it and I know your gurus are going to say other things, but debt is the number one cause of financial hopelessness. If we can eliminate debt and we can increase the amount of money that we make, we can live a much stress free life, which allows for us to elongate our life. And we're able to live life in a place of, of what I call our Sabbath, where we live in a place of peace. Um, and we deal with other stressors in life, but there are acute stresses and we know that they won't last long. So that's what we call financial cancer. And that's what we say is the number one cause of death in black America. So let's recap. Heart disease is number one cause of death in black America. Acute and chronic stress is the number one cause of heart disease. Financial hopelessness is the number one cause of acute and chronic stress. And debt is the number one, uh, uh, a.k.a. financial cancer, is the number one cause of financial hopelessness. So this lets us know that financial cancer is the number one cause of death in black America. And if we do not fix this, if we do not fix this here, we will never be able to get ahead. And if you want that book, Surviving Financial Cancer, go to survivingfinancialcancer.com. You can actually go get a copy of my book so that you can see and diagnose what stage of financial cancer you're in and uh, get that strategy that you need in order for you to become a financial cancer free. And so when we talk about moving on, we talk about leverage, which is the reason why we get debt, right? You want to leverage OPM, other people's money, and um, you want to go have the life that you want. You want to invest into your business. You want to get the car because you don't have the money, but you need a better car. You don't have time to go find cars. You don't have that time. You want to leverage OPM. But the problem with OPM is that the, the actual definition of leverage, the first definition of leverage is to use borrowed capital for um, uh, with the expectation of expecting the profits made to be greater than the interest payable. So when I borrow money, I leverage money for consumer things, things that I purchase, things that don't make me money. It is not considered leverage. 
You're not leveraging it to make more money. And that's the only time I would have a conversation with somebody that says, okay, you use debt to make money. But my thing is don't become dependent on that leverage. You become the leverage. And the second definition is to use something to its maximum advantage. We're going to sit on that for a little bit because I'm going to bring that up later on. So let's see where our money goes. People say we don't make enough money. Well, the average person in America, um, average person in America, average black American makes about one point five million dollars. Look at that bottom level down there makes one point five million dollars over their working career. So everyone's a millionaire. We just get it at different times. So it makes one point five million dollars over their working career. The problem is, is that when we at the end of our retirement, we only got one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in our retirement. Well, $425,000 of our money goes to uh, interest. Another $160,000 goes to car investments. Another $350,000 uh, goes to uh, our, our home, our purchase of our home that we typically uh, purchase. We have a student loan debt. So the average person spends uh, $1,082,000 in debt and interest payments. So the reason why you don't feel like you have any money is because 90% of your money is going to the bank. So if you were to become the bank, what happens? You're able to consume the majority of the money that's escaping your house. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about how you can actually become the bank and you can consume and assume the money that's going out and you can keep it within your family's banking system. See, listen, if you saw and I'm showing you right here, I'm not even including any of the other living expenses of life, which is why you see a big difference. But one million and eighty two thousand dollars is literally going to debt and interest payments. There's no way anybody can tell me that that's a good deal. And the only people that's winning over the long term, we think that we're out gaming the bank. We're not out gaming the bank family. The bank is out gaming us. They got the bigger houses. They got the bigger uh, buildings. They have the nicer, they have the nicer lifestyle, not limited with stress. These are important things that we have to understand. And we have to eliminate and get that stuff out of our life. We have to become the bank. So this is why most families struggle. Procrastination, instant gratification, living beyond our means, making decisions based on emotions, easily influenced and access to the wrong information. I want to sit on that um, making decisions based on emotions. How many times have you made decisions based on emotions? You had babies based on emotions. You bought cars based on emotions. You purchased houses based on emotions. You got a credit card. You went on vacations. All these things were based on emotion. And there's one thing I'm just going to point out on what how families actually succeed. One thing, they make decisions based on facts, research, and logic. They make decisions based on facts, research, and logic, which means even though I emotionally, I want it right now, I'm going to look up every single thing I have to to make a logical decision to ensure that my family is making the best decision for us right now. That is the number one reason in the difference between if you succeed versus you fail. Do you make decisions based on facts, research, and logic? So anybody can bring me an opportunity. I'm open to listen to opportunities. I'm open to look at purchasing things. But if I can't get all of the facts, all my research, all of my logic, and there are too many gray areas in that this purchase, I do not purchase. And I also ask myself, am I making an emotional decision when I purchase? Or is there a reason to my method? Is there a cause for me dealing or purchasing whatever I'm purchasing or doing that? If there is. I'm okay with moving forward. If it is not, I'm not okay. And guess what, family? I do not uh, make those purchases and I do not make those investments. So 
The first thief was you. You're stealing from yourself. The lack of knowledge is the root of all evil. I like to, I want to say that the lack of knowledge is the root of all evil to stay in the dark when there's so much light that you can get and so much information and to be able to apply it, to become intelligent, to acquire information, to apply it. That's on us. We can no longer say information is not available to us because there's a bunch of information that you're able to get that can help you propel yourself forward. So the first thief was the bank was you. The second thief is the bank. This is how the bank works. A traditional bank is just a pool of leverage money. They take our deposits. They give loans out to other people. They make money on the loans. And the only thing we get are low rates of return under 1%. Liquid is convenient and it's safe up to $250,000. That's all we get for putting our money in the bank. However, they make 6 to 28% for holding our money, managing our money. They offer us a credit check when we want to use their money. We get taxed on the interest that we make. That little 1% we get for keeping our money in the savings account, we get taxed on that. And we get hit with late charge fees. Over a billion dollars in late charge fees the bank makes money off of. So when we, we got to start questioning where we put our money and what value are we getting from it. And if we're not getting the most value and bang for our buck, we have to find other places to put our money or else it will not work. Or so it will not work. So let's look at a mortgage, for an example, a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Um, if you look at uh, what the mortgage would be, nine fifty five would be the monthly payment. Let's say at four point one percent. The volume interest that you will pay is actually 42%. When you look at the amount of interest that you pay in accordance to what you actually are, are, are in accordance to what you actually are, um, uh, uh, are purchasing a house for, you're not purchasing a house for 42%. You're purchasing for 4%. You're purchasing for 42%. Let's do the math. $95 a month mortgage times 360 months. That's 30 years. That's $343,000 in total mortgage in 30 years. $343,000 in total mortgage minus the cost of what you actually pay for the house. I'm not adding any of the extra cost of maintaining a home. I'm just talking about the mortgage. You bought the house for $200,000. You end up paying $200,000, which is the cost of the home, plus $143,000 in interest paid. If you divide the $143,000 of interest paid, uh, and you um, and you add, I'm sorry, you take the interest paid and you add the maintenance cost over the 30 years and then you add the total cost of the home. You end up spending three hundred and seventy nine thousand uh, dollars into that property. If we were to go back for two seconds, I'm going to show you something. If you take this hundred and forty three thousand dollars and you divide that into what you actually pay for the home, the actual cost of the home, you're going to see that you really pay forty two thousand dollars, forty two percent in interest, not four. So they told us that your home would be at a four percent mortgage. But when you look at real numbers, you're going to realize that you're actually paying forty two percent in interest, not four percent. So the question I have is where the hell did they get that four percent? That's the, that's the question I'm still trying to figure out. So when you look at how much interest you're actually paying for a property that's not making you any money, we have to start renegotiating our terms and finding better places to be able to put our money. So if I were to take the interest pay plus the average maintenance cost of a, of a, of a mortgage over 30 years, plus the $200,000 I spent for the cost of the home, I, made, I paid $379,000 for a $200,000 home. Let's say your property grew $100,000 in equity over 30 years. Let's just say that. So you take the $200,000 of the cost of the home plus the $100,000 of equity, that's uh, minus, which that's $300,000, by the way, minus what you actually pay for the home right here, 
your estate is still negative $79,000. So when they say a home is a good investment, not every home is a good investment. Not all homes are created equal. So if you're purchasing a home, you got to be a lot more smarter. But if you get a 30-year mortgage and you're paying this home with this 30-year mortgage and you're paying this monthly mortgage on this home and you're still negative at the end of 30 years, you can't just uh, wipe away and just forget the fact that your house um, all the money you put into the house and you sell your house, you're still negative 79,000. This is the math that people always forget to do. We look at all the equity we build in your house, but you don't think about how much money you actually already put in the house. So we got to start thinking that. So I went to the bank to get $200,000 and I end up paying 343. I paid for uh, uh, almost two houses for the cost of one house because I financed from the bank. The bank, I can talk all day about the bank, but the bank is a second thief. And I think that you know that. The third thing is the government. See, they tell us that the rate of return is important. So if your money doubled every year in this green column, if your money doubled every year without taxes, it'll be $1,048,000. However, and a poverty level, a tax bracket 17%, that $1 million, if you get taxed on your gains every year, turns into $177,000. That $1 million, if you get taxed at, as an upper middle class, if you get taxed upper middle class, that $1 million in this tax-free environment that you would have made gets eaten, eaten up. And you will only have $57,000 in this investment account if it was getting taxed at, um, at um, a higher income uh, bracket level uh, interest. So that means that you left with 57,000 and the government pretty much got a million dollars off your 57,000. It's absolutely crazy, ludicrous. So the more money that they take, the more money and leverage that they have. So just like the bank, the, the government takes our deposits. They lend out our money to college institutions, to private companies, to oil companies, to 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 bail people out. We get repayments on they get repayments on those loans. And what do we get from depositing our money with the government? Army, homeland security, mistreatment as African-American, health care, retirement, income security, education, training, uh, roads and all those things. What I will say is America is extremely developed. And for the most part, when it comes to the development, of the roads and things of the nature. I'm very happy with that. There are things that we need to make sure that's doing well, but the government is, is eating off of our money. They're getting more value from our money than we're getting from ourselves. So if they can develop an army, homeland security, healthcare, retirement, income security, all of this off of our money that we're giving them, why can't we do this for ourselves? Think about that. The disadvantage of this, they can tax at will. Federal students have to keep paying student loans pretty much till death. And uh, they mismanage funds all day. So where does our money go? If we think about where our money goes, 34.5% um, of your money goes to bank finance charges. 36% of your money goes to the government and state taxes. And 29.5% um, and of our, uh, we're forced to live on 29.5%. So that means that 36% of our money goes to government and state tax. 34.5% goes to bank finance charges. If we cannot control the government, we can limit what goes to the government. And if we can do that, that's something I'm sure that you guys will be excited to hear about. Because if we were able to reduce these two areas with we can limit or uh, completely get rid of how much money goes to the bank for finance charges and we can cut the government charges in half. How many of you guys will want to hear more information about it? I believe everybody will want to know how you can get more bang for your buck. And this is why we feel broke, because we're only living on 29.5 percent of the money we make. This is all we're living on. 
This is all we're living on, 29.5%, which is why you feel so broke. So if we can get on this side of the world, which is the side that they're on, the bank finance charge and the government side, and give them 29.5%, I'm okay with that. Then the last thief is Wall Street. Oh, Wall Street, so cold. So they tell us to give us their money. They go make investments in stocks. They get the stocks back, and they give us a maybe hopeful return. They charge us management fees. They have high expense ratios, sales charges, management uh, management abuses the fund typically, tax inefficiencies, poor trade executions. Uh, they don't You don't own the actual stock. You own a piece of the mutual fund. You own a piece of the hedge fund. You own a piece of the company. So they give you shares of their company while they take your money and their company, and then they go and purchase the actual stock for the company. So we get taxed on you. I mean, these are all things that we have to think about before we go put our money in Wall Street. And the average person doesn't invest in Wall Street. They gamble. They're looking at it as like a slot machine. You're looking to see what you can get out of it, a quick bang that you can get out of it. And it's not beneficial to you long term. So I want to show you a new pool of money that gives you the best of both worlds that works like both the bank and Wall Street. This pool has been used for over 200 years. It's tax favored by the IRS code 7702-101-A72E, Tamra, Tefra, Defra. It's guaranteed 4% and safe. No stock market danger. It's liquid, inconvenient, and you control it 100%. So before we get into that, I actually want to show you something. Let me show you what the banks are actually doing with their money. Okay, great. So now that we're back after showing you what the banks actually do with their money, I know that your mind should be absolutely blown away right now because it's absolutely crazy that we never knew that when it came to insurance reserves that the banks were storing so much money in insurance reserves. And we got to figure out exactly why that they are doing that, because when we can figure out the why, we can determine the what if we can figure determine the what we can determine our destination. If we can determine our destination, we can control our destiny. And so I'm teaching you exactly how to do what the insurance companies are doing for themselves, for you. And but we have to disregard conventional wisdom because conventional wisdom, how far has it gotten us this far? Has it gotten us far at all? So when I tell people, when they say when in Rome, do what the Romans do. And I say, well, if if you want to beat America or or be like America or be a government of your own for your family, you want to be financially independent. You have to mimic the banks. You got to be the bank. You got to do what the banks are doing for other people. You got to do that for yourself. And when you can understand what the banks are doing, you can control your destiny because you can become the bank. So we have to reeducate you on what insurance is because most people don't understand insurance. Insurance is a means of protection from financial loss. It is a form of risk management primarily used to hedge against the risk of contingent or uncertain loss. This simply just means, guess what, family? It literally means that it's to protect or guarantee against loss. It's a protection. It's a hedge. So when people think of life insurance or they think of insurance, we always think of it in a negative light. When I think of insurance, I think of guarantee on my money. It's guaranteeing, protecting that whatever happens, I'm going to be fine. Isn't that the way that you would like your investments to be? Isn't that a way what you would like for your when you're lending money or you're giving money or your money's making money for you? Wouldn't you like to have guarantees that ensures that if anything happens, that you can at least be able to get your money back bare minimum? All of us are looking for things of like insurance. And when it comes to insurance, why wouldn't I do what the bank's doing? Why wouldn't I insure my money like the banks insure theirs? That's what we're talking about right now at this moment. So we have to find a better place to house our money. 
Putting our money with the banks is not the best benefit for us. Putting our money with the government is not the best benefit for us. Putting our money in Wall Street is cool, but there are no guarantees. I want to find a best place to put my money because in order for you to bank and become your own bank, there needs to be a reservoir. It needs to be a warehouse. It needs to be a place where you're going to store your money. If you think about the water, water still has a reservoir. It still has oceans, lakes, and pools. There are still places where, where water is held. If it's large or if it's small, that the whole water cycle can uh, can evolve and move on. So you have to find a reservoir. You have to find a lake. You have to find an ocean for you to put your money in so that you can be able to do this banking system. Can you bank outside of your checking account? Yes, yeah, sure. But you want to find a better place for your money so you can get more bang for your buck. So why not uh, deposit your money and put your money in and place your money into a pool, a reservoir, an ocean, uh, 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 um, a cash warehouse that gives you a guaranteed four percent interest. Why not? Why not uh, put your money in a place where where you can you you can get access to your money tax free and there are no taxes on your gains? Why not put your money in a place where it's liquid? You can access it with no penalties. Why not put money in place where it's guaranteed and safe? Why not put your money in a place that outside the guaranteed four percent annual that you get, you get up to four percent dividends on top of what you already spend it. If you're going to put your money somewhere, why not put it into a place that's sheltered from lawsuits, sheltered from probate? If you're going to put your money somewhere, why not put your money somewhere that if you were to die, your family gets four to ten times more than what you actually put into the reserve? The banks don't do that. Wall Street doesn't do that. The government damn sure don't do that. Your safe doesn't do that. So we want to find a place that actually gives us the best bang for our buck so that we can be able to use a reservoir at the same time. So let's look at this example. This this person is putting twenty four thousand dollars a year into this reservoir, into this cash warehouse, into this banking warehouse. So if you look at this banking warehouse, they're putting their money inside this banking warehouse, twenty four thousand a year. What you're going to see is that let's say 10 years they put this money into the bank. They put this money into their reservoir. They put $240,000 into their reservoir. They have access to $210,000 after 10 years. And they have a death benefit of $1.7 million. Let's put things in perspective. Let's judge apple to apples. If you put your money in a bank over 10 years, you put your money in a bank, $24,000 a year for 10 years. If you put that money inside of a bank, 24,000 a year for 10 years, what would you have? You probably would have $240,000 inside of your bank. But the problem is, is that if you were to die, the only thing your family gets is $240,000. In this case, you put $240,000 in your bank, you have access to $210,000, but your family gets $1.7 million if you were to die. So let me ask you a question. Would you want your bank in bank A, where you only get $240,000? Or would you want your, um, your money in bank B, where you may put 240 in, you may only have access to 210, but your family gets $1.7 million guaranteed. I think all of us would choose bank B. So if you look at that for an example, then also in this bank, not only are you getting your guaranteed 4%, this is the guaranteed side. So you're guaranteed to have that money in there. On the non-guaranteed side, this is the dividend side. This is you actually participating in profits with the comp insurance company. Now, what bank has actually paid you profits from the bank, from the money that they made from their loans? I'll wait. So here you put $240,000 into this uh, cash warehouse. You get an extra dividend of $6,500 for that 10-year period. 
which means that you have $217,000 you have access to and $1.7 million in dividend. But it gets better. After year 20, you put $480,000 into this reservoir. You have access to $530,000 right here. Let's, let's go to it. You have access to, you have access to, uh, you put $480,000 inside of this reservoir. You see that? Um, uh, you have access to $530,000 guaranteed. Look at this. This is guaranteed. This is guaranteed. So what does that mean? That means that you're guaranteed to have $530,000 in your cash reserve and you only put $480,000 in and you're guaranteed to have $2.2 million. Think about that. Really, really think about that. If you were to put your money inside of any investment vehicle or any bank account, what investment vehicle, what bank account where you can put $480,000 in, have access to use $530,000 cash liquid that you can use at will anytime you want, and you got a guaranteed $2.2 million. I'll wait. None. So we go on the non-guarantee side plus the dividends. On this side, you got $96,000 of dividends paid out to you within this 10-year period. So that's $641,000 you have in your reserve. You only put $480,000 in, and you got a guaranteed $2.5 million legacy. So do you see why my wife and I and my family, we only put our money inside these insurance reserves? Do you see why we don't play no games with the banks? We don't play our money. We don't gamble our money away because I haven't found anything, not even real estate that gives me these guarantees. I know I'm going to die. I know these things are possible and this is what's going to happen. Let's play the 30 year game. I put twenty four thousand dollars into this into my reserve for 30 years. I put a total of seven hundred and twenty thousand in. I'm guaranteed at sixty one to have nine hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars in this reserve that I have access to no matter what. If the market blew up, I'm going to guaranteed have that. Plus a death benefit of two point five million dollars. Plus, I got paid two hundred and sixty five thousand dollars in dividends. This 10 year period. So I have access to one point three million dollars. That's my money. And I only put seven twenty in. I got a guaranteed three point two million dollars when I die for my family. Let me ask you a question. Which would you like? Which would you like? I'm sure all of us would choose the right thing. I'm sure all of us would choose the right thing. I'm very positive that we will. So how does this work? How does this reserve work, Jake? Great question. So because of these tax laws, we have the protection from Wall Street, inflation, bank finance, and IRS taxes. So you can get access to this money tax-free. So the money I just showed you that you can get, yes, you can get access to that money 100% tax-free. I said it. It grows tax-deferred and you can access it tax-free. What vehicle allows for you to do that? What vehicle allows for you to do that? So what happens? I put money inside my cash reserve. Some of the money sips out and it actually pays for my insurance policy. So like I showed you here, you know how you're guaranteed the 2.2, guaranteed the 1.7, guaranteed all of that money when you die. That's what some of the money is paying for. So 60 to 70 percent of your money stays in your reserve. The rest of the money pays for your insurance policy. So it's doing uh, multiple things for you at one time. So every month, guess what happens? That three hundred dollars is adding up. 
you're paying for your insurance policy and the money's adding up in your reserve. You're getting a guaranteed 4% floor every year, no matter what, you're getting guaranteed 4% plus two to 4% dividends. So all that's happening. So how, do, how can you make this work? Well, guess what? If you have all that money in your reserve, you can actually become your own bank. You can lend money to yourself and then pay yourself back interest without ever diminishing the money in your account. So let's say, for an example, you have one hundred thousand dollars inside of this, this uh, inside your reserve and you want to access the fifty thousand. You borrow fifty thousand dollars from yourself. When you borrow fifty thousand from yourself, the actual insurance company gives you fifty thousand from their pool of money, not yours. So the only thing they do with your fifty thousand, they limit your access to it. So they never take the money out of your account. They only put a lien on it. And what a lien is, it's you not having access to the 50,000 that you borrow from them. And um, uh, and then when you pay the 50,000 back, they release the lien on your money, which means that hundred thousand dollars that you have inside your reserve that's getting four to eight percent interest. It's making four to eight percent every year on the four hundred thousand dollars you had in that account while you borrow fifty thousand. I don't know what vehicle will allow for you to have a hundred thousand dollars in a reserve borrow 50,000 from the reserve and still be able to have the $100,000 making money as if you never took it out. I've never seen it. So the insurance company is going to charge you 5% simple interest, which means $50,000 times 5%. That's all you'll get charged on the interest on that money. Nothing more, no compound or anything. You're getting a guaranteed 4% every year. So the difference in the interest uh, that you uh, that you made. So say you made 8% on the 400,000. They charge you 5% to use their money. You're, you're making 3% interest gain just to use their money. So if you never paid the $50,000 back, they're just going to take the $50,000 out of the $1 million life insurance policy. So if you spent the 50,000 to purchase a car or 50,000 to buy a home and you never paid it back, nobody's going to come repo you. They'll just take the $50,000 out of the million dollar policy and give your family $950,000 versus a million dollars while you still have that house or that car with no repossessions. So who all does this? Michigan University paid Jim Harborough, their head coach, in life insurance from their life insurance policy. Claude Boucher uh, literally became a billionaire going inside and borrowing money just like I showed you from his life insurance policy when the stock market classed. He went and bought a bunch of uh, publicly traded companies. And when the market went back up, he was a billionaire and bought half of Colorado. Ray Kroc, most people don't know, he self-funded franchising uh, McDonald's with his life insurance policy. All of these people are Caucasian white people who have been using these strategies for years. And it's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to step up so that we can be able to do the exact same thing and build this guaranteed wealth for our families the same exact way that our uh, that our counterparts have done. The same exact way. If you look at what it says, Walt Disney borrowed from his life insurance policy in 1953 to help fund Disneyland because the banks wouldn't fund them. How many of you got businesses? How many of you guys have businesses that you wish that the bank will fund? How many of you guys have businesses that you wish that the bank will fund? But they won't. What if you had your own bank to be able to fund your own business? Stock market, JCPenney's, a pampered chef, 
All these companies that you look at, even John McCain, when he was running for president, used his insurance policy in order for him to be able to be uh, be able to be put ahead. These are things that are very, very, very important for us to be able to understand that if you learn how to use your insurance reserves the right way, it can literally propel you to a place that you've never you never, ever seen before. But you have to make sure that and put yourself in a situation to where you can actually be able to see that type of reserve, see that type of money. And you can be able to lend and borrow from yourself what you're already doing for other people. You can do that. You can fund your companies. You can keep your company afloat. You can buy companies with your reserve and nobody will be on your neck of when to pay it back. Because guess what? Because you are the bank and because you're using your reserve, nobody's going to force you to pay anything back. You can literally create your own payment schedule. You can decide not to pay yourself back if you choose. That's on you. That's what I call complete control. That's why I believe everyone should have their own private banking system, even if it's 5,000, even if it's 10,000, even if it's 2,000, you have in that reserve that you put in that reserve a year. It is something to start on to where you can learn how to become your own banking system. And everybody, let me tell you, I hope you learned something today. I hope you learned how to become your own bank. I hope you replay this over and over if you need to get the, uh, the tools that, and strategies that you need. And let me tell you something, all policies are not created the same. All policies are not created the same. All policies are not created the same. And if you understand that, you'll be just fine. Let me let me do something real quick. If you go to IamTheLender.com, if you go to IamTheLender.com and you um, and you uh, go to IamTheLender.com, you can literally get I have a I have a uh, 30 something plus master course. I have a course, 30 lessons that teaches you how to become the bank using the insurance reserves. We'll even go over if your policy is the actual right policy to be using for the insurance reserve, because 90 90 percent of people that have policies, 95% of people that have insurance policies don't have the right type of insurance policies to actually use as a reserve in the way that I'm thinking about. So you, I'm telling you about. So you need to go to IamTheLender.com. Go and get that course. I even give you a seven-day free access to the course so that you can see the value that I'm bringing inside. Seven-day free access. Go to IamTheLender.com. Register, apply, get inside that master course. Get my book, I Am The Lender, if you can't afford the course because the book, you can read the book and still be able to get content from it too. And also follow me on Instagram at Jake Taylor Jacobs because this masterclass and this information I talk about all the time. And if you do these things, I can show you how to become the bank. I can show you how to privatize your own banking system, your own funding system to where you no longer have to depend on anybody. Peace, family. And I absolutely love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. My name is Jake, Ta Jake Taylor Jacobs, and I am Mr. Be The Bank. Peace.